Acts 17. The book of Acts is a record of what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died a horrible death, was wrapped, put into a grave, and his disciples went back to fishing and all this stuff. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And this is the main theme of what the book of Acts is talking about, that Jesus Christ has paid for the sins of mankind and he's accepted by the Father. The proof is the resurrection. And that now that we, the disciples, so to speak, the followers of Jesus, are now to go be witnesses of him. And it started in Jerusalem. He said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit falls upon you. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. They were empowered, and they began to proclaim that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. All of mankind, every single one of us who has a heartbeat, is under the penalty, under the condemnation, because of sin within us, and we are all awaiting the judgment of God. I don't know about you, but I don't, li- I don't want to see that day. Anyone else? I think of the things I've done. I think of the things I don't even remember I've done. And God says that everything will be laid to, laid to bear. Everything will be brought to light. Everything we thought, everything we, we've thunk, everything we've done, the motives of our hearts, everything will be brought before God and be judged. And there will be those who are brought before the white throne judgment, who will be condemned, judged rightly and justly, and cast into eternal fire forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And there'll be those who simply had faith in Jesus Christ and said, God, forgive me. I trust that your son died on the cross, took my place, and they will have eternal life. Did they earn it? Did I earn it? Did you earn it? No. But yet the religions of the world say that you must earn it. You must go to church this many times. You must give this much. You must pray in this way. You must say these words. You must be baptized as an infant. You must do all this stuff. All man-made, all leading to hell. Our attempt to make ourselves right with God Jesus came. He was the sacrifice. He did it all. He said the words. He's the one who did all the things that we could never do perfectly. He kept the days. He had the heart of God, and yet he took our place and died for us. And now, through faith in him, just simply believing, guess what happens? We're declared innocent. Yay! Woohoo! I'm no longer going to be held accountable for the things I've done. And here's the bonus, for the things I will do. Jesus' blood washes us clean. Now, as we read in Galatians, well then, I can just keep on sinning, can't I? And just go ahead and be a total punk. Well, what happens is when we receive the forgiveness of God, when, when, he, when we're born again, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, he gives us the Spirit of Christ. 
and we have the spirit of Christ within us, and what happens? There's a war going on inside, and it's no longer I'm controlled totally by these things. Now there's Jesus speaking in my heart and saying, son, daughter, that's no longer who you are. You've been bought into a new family by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's no longer who you are. And it's no longer a, a right versus wrong. Is this, gonna, is this right or wrong with God? It is now, does this please you? And that's how we live our life. Does this bring glory to you? Does this glorify you? Is this what you would do, Jesus? And that's the relationship we have. And here's the thing is that God promises strength in our mortal bodies to overcome sin now that we have the spirit of Jesus in us. The promise. And now we're to lay hold of it and to reckon it dead. And so here, that's the simple gospel that faith in Jesus Christ makes us right with God, gives us new life and power over sin. And now we go around living it out and proclaiming it to the world. And that's what's happening in Acts. People who were once in bondage to religion, people who once were in bondage to idolatry, people who were once in bondage to uh, all sorts of, of just horrible things that we've all probably experienced in our lives in this room somehow. Jesus sets them free. And he's walking from city to city. Paul, we're focusing on Paul, is walking from city to city. And what's happening with Paul? He's getting persecuted. Because when you bring light into darkness, it exposes darkness for what it is, and darkness doesn't like it. I remember being on that side and hearing people preach and will say, you know, hey, you need to get right with God. Well, who are you? You know, and all this stuff, and I just start shooting back because the darkness is being exposed. And reality was truth. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me. Come, come here. Let me get, you know, let me have your heart. And so Paul just spent some time in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and there were some Jews who did not like that situation, so they're, they're kicking them out. And so Paul is on his second missionary journey. If you imagine the Mediterranean Sea, he's gone up from Jerusalem, going up, and he's kind of gone through Turkey, and he wouldn't go right into Asia. He couldn't go left, and, and, and now he's crossing over to Troas. There's a little gap, and now he's entering into Greece. That was my map there. We just went into Greece. Do you see that? It's right there. And so they're going to cruise around the coast a little bit here in all these little cities you're, you're, you're hearing about. And we saw in uh, chapter 16 that he picked up the doctor, Luke. And, in, and you'll see that the pronouns are turning from they went, they went to we went. And they picked up Timothy as well. Timothy will be a big part. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be... Uh, along with Paul's journey as he's reaching these non-Jewish people. And in verse 17, in chapter 17, it says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Ring a bell? The book of the Thessalonians. These are Greeks. And so we will be entering into First and Second Thessalonians here soon as we make our way through Acts. They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Paul's practice was to do what? To go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Sorry, chapter 1, verse 18. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power and the salvation to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. So his custom was anytime he had a Jewish place, he'd go into a Jewish place first, preach the gospel first to them, and then 
he would go to the Gentiles. And as was his custom, it says, Paul went into the synagogue, and on, the, on three Sabbath day, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. That word reason is dialogue. That's where we get the dialogue. He talked back and forth with them. How many like it when I just talk at you for an hour? You know, isn't it neat when someone actually sits down and dialogues with you about the Lord, about the things of the Lord? And this is Paul's thing. He dialogued with him. It wasn't a monologue. It was a dialogue. And so thus the importance, yes, of hearing the word on Sunday mornings being exhorted, but dialogue is really important. Wednesday nights, guys getting together, you, you meeting in your uh, t- you know, Tuesday morning groups and all that type of stuff, getting together, dialoguing, discussing the word of God. And notice that was Paul's emphasis He was reasoning with them, dialoguing is the word, from the scriptures. Where do you reason? Where do you dialogue from? Where is your resource of information come from in life? When you're talking to someone about marriage, when you're talking about family, when you're talking about salvation, how people are saved. Are you quoting a bunch of secular things? Or are you going to the source? Do you know the source? Paul's reasoning from the scriptures, but notice he's not limited by that. We'll see that when he gets to talking to the Greeks on Mars Hill. But he's talking to the Jews in a specific way. He's reasoning them from scripture, and he expl- he's explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer. That word explaining, it means to cut asunder. It means to open up something that you hadn't seen before. I love that gift the gift when I'll sit there and listen to messages and people just have the ability to take something that might not be understandable and they just cut it open and all of a sudden I'm able to go, oh my goodness, that's what that means. I love that. And that's what he's doing. He's taking the word of God, which the Jews knew, and he's opening it to them and showing them Jesus in there from the scriptures. And he's proving that the Messiah had to suffer. Why did he have to prove that? Because their view of the scriptures was that the Messiah was going to be king. They had a, when they looked at the Bible, they saw, as we often do, what we want to see. I want to see Jesus the healer. I want to see Jesus the redeemer. I want to see Jesus triumphant. And he is. All those things. But I don't necessarily want to see Jesus suffering. And the promise is that you too will suffer like he suffered. I too will suffer like he suffered. I don't want to see that. So, uh, yeah, open my mind to who God really is. And we have, that's why it's so important to teach through the Bible and not just to cherry pick whatever I want to talk about because we could talk about tithing for 10 weeks, right? How often does the Bible talk about tithing? I don't know, as often as we get to it. And the Lord's just talking, right? But men will tend to do what they want. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with being topical. I don't want to say that you, you can't, but there's a benefit to just going through the word and letting it speak to you where you are. And I, and I, I appreciate Paul here that he's, he's explaining and he's proving. And that word proving means to set in front of. He's opening it up and he's setting it in front of them. Do you see? Do you see it? Look at this verse that you think means this. This is what it really means. You know, quite often when I, 
when I have a, you know, a disagreement, say someone has something they, they don't like about something, I, I just, I want to ask, so what does God have to say about that? Not in a flippant way, but I mean, where are you coming from? Uh, where from Scripture? Because I want to conform to what the Word is saying. I want my life to change about God's principles. If you don't like something, that's okay. But pray about it, and, and, and what's the Lord say about that? Because that's, I mean, I've been so many times in an elder meeting where, you know, someone's just said, hey, you know, this is going on, and here's the scripture, and I'm going, ah, you're right. They opened it up, they sat it in front of me, and I'm like, oh, bummer. <laughs> you know, I'm right. And so there's this beautiful thing going on here. He's, ex- he's explaining the scriptures, and he's proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead, and there's that that principle of that main thing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. That means the Christ, the promised one. Um, and it says some, verse four, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. And is it a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women? How awesome. A few Jews, but a large number of the God-fearing Greeks like Cornelius, who, who, fear, who kind of were following Jewish customs but weren't fully converted over. They were falling. But, verse 5, other Jews were jealous. And so they rounded up some bad characters, people who were always just having problems from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. How nice. And they rushed to Jason's house. Obviously, Jason, we don't know who he is, but it seems like he's, his house was the center of a hub for the church there. They rushed in Jason's house and searched for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. Anybody have a different version? It says, they've turned the world upside down. That's kind of what it means. They've, they've, they've caused problems. They're, they're disturbing the way we do things. The gospel disturbs the way we do things. It disturbs cities. It disturbs families. It causes division, believe it or not. It's not like we delight in that. But that's what it does. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are, are counterparts. I mean, they are opposite. They bump against each other. They have different values. God says to love your enemies. Man says, kill your enemies. When someone walks up to you and says, carry my bag two miles, uh, carry my bag a mile, what do we say? Go get some, you know, you know we can say a lot of things. Uh, but... Nothing wholesome comes to mind. But what, what does Jesus say? Take it too. Boy, a different kingdom. A different kingdom he's preaching. But these men have turned the world upside down. Actually, they turned it right side up. I love that in Acts chapter 5, 28. They filled the whole city with their doctrine. May it be so in Walla Walla. Amen? They are defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowds and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. They're appealing to their culture. Hey, Caesar, he's the man. We worship him as a god. 
and they're to say that Jesus is Lord, he's kurios, he is above all, he's supreme, was the Roman deal, correct? And everybody who was a citizen was to say that Caesar is Lord. And they're saying, hey, there's another king. That's what they're preaching. Of course, they're twisting what Jesus is saying. We read in Romans chapter 13 where he talks about praying for those kings over you and all those things. So it's not a disrespect for the authority that's in position. It's just that God is God and he is above all. And so what would happen is there were lands and places and you had idols and you'd put them on your field and, and all this type of stuff in, in, in Rome and, and you would pray to those idols to bless your thing. And then there was the idea of that Caesar was bigger than all of that. And now Jesus is coming and saying he is Lord, which means he is the God above all gods, was the idea that they were saying. They're saying that he is going to usurp the authority that is here. And notice how the people are stirring this up to people in politics. Well, you don't. You start messing with their power, and then they get serious, right? <laughs> and that's what's happening here. And, they, and there was a, they were thrown into turmoil, not because they cared about the doctrine, but they cared about power. And, and the uh, the city was getting all crazy. Verse nine. Then they made Jason the others. They posted bond. And they let them go as a sign to say that you won't let this happen again. And then it says in verse ten, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And so they're moving, they're moving clockwise, kind of, just, or counterclockwise, along the coast there. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue again. They went to the Jewish synagogue because there was one. And now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why is that? It says, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Two things that made them more noble than the other Jews. One, they received it with eagerness. They were hungry for the things of God. Number two, they didn't just take it as the word of God. They took it and they matched it up against the word of God. They went to the word. They opened the word. And they said, is this what this guy is talking? Is this really true? They challenged it. And they opened up the word for themselves. How often do they do this? Once a, a week. Every day. Is it really so? Is, is what Matt is saying, is, is that true? You are called to challenge what I am teaching you. Test all things. You're called to take it. Yes, with eagerness, but to match it up with the word of God. Is that really the right spirit? Is that really what God is saying? And you take it and you match it up with the word of God. Now, some of us, we can take that and go, I'm going to test you to death. That's not what the thing is. We take it and we say, is that, is that, is that sound doctrine? And we match it against the word of God, not what we want to hear. And so they did that. They matched it in Berea. It says they, they did it every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result of that happening, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women. So again, these prominent Greek women are coming to the Lord, praise God, and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica, verse 13, learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there to agitate the crowds and stirring them up. And the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. 
But Silas and Timothy, they stayed at Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. And as we get into First Thessalonians, you see how all these things are going back and forth. Now Paul's in Athens. Athens is the center of Greek culture. This is Roman times. So we are 500 years removed, or 400 years, somewhere around there. Yeah, around 400 years removed from the, the height of the Greek empire. And still, Athens is stand. There's probably ruins and all that stuff everywhere. But while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and you can read more about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 through 5, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Have you ever, any of you ever traveled to a land that was full of idols? Any of you been to, you know, Indonesia or in different places where they just have idols everywhere? We don't really uh, see that too much here. I was in the Philippines and I have pictures. I should have brought them and shown them on our fake PowerPoint and uh, walk into an idol shop. It was awesome. I mean, just to be, no, I'm not saying it was awesome, but I mean, it was just like, it was a shock that there's really these things, there's little things that people carve and they pray to them. And it was in a Catholic, uh, it was a Catholic, so there's a lot of Catholic mixed with a lot of mysticism and all, all this type of stuff. It gets weird over in, you know, in third world countries, they'll take, uh, you know, uh, statues uh, of maybe, of Mary and they'll put, they'll attach them to a helicopter and fly them over the city. And so like Mary's just all, you know, but they'll do that. And it's, you know, <laughs> Hail Mary, right? <laughs> no, okay, we got to stop. Uh, but they would do that. They, they, they take him and they go around because people are very religious and superstitious or whatever it is. And I remember being in, um, you know, one of these churches and there were, I think it was a Catholic church and there were a lot of, a lot of different uh, uh, statues of the saints and, and the, the paint from the feet were, was removed from people kissing the feet. And, and it was just... You know, people were, were, they associate those things with something spiritual. And so people will want to take, like communion, it represents something to us. But they'll take idols and they'll place them in their fields. They'll take them and put them in their homes. They'll put them in their businesses and all these things because it means something to them. There's a connection. And so Paul is walking into the city that was full of idols. Full of idols. It means overwhelmed with idols. And his heart was vexed. It was grieved. You ever walked into a situation where there was just such darkness, your heart was grieved? The Holy Spirit said, man, this is a dark place. This is a dark place. I get that. You know, if I ever go back to places I used to be in the world, you know, and I'll just walk in and I'll just sense the darkness that I couldn't discern when I was there, when I was lost. And now I'm just like, oh my gosh, what in the heck was I doing? You know, and there's just this sense in your spirit. And Paul's just overwhelmed with this. He's distressed, this place full of idolatry. It says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace. Notice the places where he's ministering to, where he's reasoning with people, where he's dialoguing with people at church. People at church need to be saved. Did you know that? I'm concerned that some of you, I don't have anybody in mind, just to let you know off the bat, might not be saved. I'm serious. I, you might not be saved. 
you've walked the walk, you've gone to church for all those years, you've put it in your thing, and yet you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It happens. You know, living in your garage doesn't make you a car, right? <laughs> Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. <laughs> yet it's something that happens in art. And so Paul, he, he's preaching to the Jews in church, both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, different people from different backgrounds. And then who else is he talking to? Who else is he spreading the gospel to? As well as in the marketplace, day by day, those who happen to be there as he was out and about. And I would say in the marketplace for you, at work, as you're running into people, as the Lord puts the opportunity in on your heart, as the opportunities come up and you know the Spirit's leading you, speak. Share, day by day. That's what we need to be doing, amen? Everywhere and everywhere. We're not confined to Sunday mornings. That's a lie the enemy wants us to believe. Keep your religion to yourself. That's exactly against the commandment of Jesus, right? Go into all the world, right? Make disciples of all nations. Overruled. We're doing that. And so what's happening here is he's preaching the gospel day by day with those who happen to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him some. Now, I, was, I printed out some notes because my mind doesn't remember everything. And it says, uh, the Epicurean philosophers pursued pleasure as a chief purpose in life. This is what they did. They pursued pleasure as a chief purpose in life and valued most of all the pleasure of a peaceful life, free from pain, Distrib- uh, disturbing passions and superstition fears, including the fear of death. They just didn't want to deal with any of that. They just wanted this middle-of-the-road, uh, uh, pleasurable life. Avoid pain at all costs. Avoid dis- discomfort. They did not deny the existence of God, but they believed that they had nothing. That God had nothing to do with man. So he was somewhere. The gods were somewhere far away. And then it says this, the Stoic philosophers are different. The Stoics were pantheists, which means they believed in the many gods. Uh, who put great emphasis on moral sincerity and a high sense of duty. And they cultivated a spirit of proud dignity and believed that suicide was better than a life lived with less dignity. So this just regimented, moral type of idealistic uh, thinkers. And so he's running into these types of people. Which one do you think most Americans fall under? If we were to... Are we more regeristic or do we just want to like avoid pain at all costs and live for pleasure? Very interesting. Yeah, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. When you start to share the Lord with some people, you're going to get people who call you a babbler and a fool. You're going to get people who call you names. Are you okay with that? Or is it going to crush you? I don't know. It hurts me. So, get ready. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Hey, he's advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Notice his message. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, or I'm sorry, Areopagus, Areopagus, whatever. The place there. Mars Hill, basically. Uh, When they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. 
You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know, they're into knowledge, what they mean. And it, and it gives us a little explanation about the culture. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And so basically this is a coffee shop in Seattle. <laughs> right? I'm just profiling there. Verse 22, I remember growing up, we'd spent, how many of you spent time at like coffee shops when you were just like, just, oh, you guys are, well, people my age are, we did nothing but do stupid stuff. I don't even think we were desiring knowledge. We were just dumb. It's pretty fun. Verse 22 says, Then Paul and stood up, meeting of the Aragopagus, whatever that is, and said, Paul, uh, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. I see that you're very religious. You know one thing that people like is they want to hear something about themselves when you're talking to them. You ever notice that? If you're trying to share the gospel with people, it's really great to build a bridge. And Paul starts out here and he says, hey, I, I see you're very religious. And he's not, I don't think he's saying it condescending, he's saying the fact. Now realize what's going on in his heart. I want you to see this. He is vexed and upset. But notice the difference between what's in his heart and what comes out of his mouth. What would change the way he's saying things? He's using some wisdom here. He's using some wisdom. He could go, you dumb idol worshipers, you're all going to burn. Right? But he doesn't. He says, I see you're very religious. And he starts to reason with them because they're reasoners. That's what they do. He says, for as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And he says, I even found an altar to an unknown God. This is the heart of evangelism. This is the heart of missions, is to find the fingerprint of God, that open door to where you can share the gospel. And he was looking carefully for that opportunity. He was looking he was praying, I bet, as he was walking along. You know, they teach you in, you know, when we went overseas and did a lot of things in the Philippines, they would say, don't just open your mouth, American. Look around, wait, pray, listen. Look, wait for the timing of God, and when you find it, then speak. And you want to understand their culture. You don't want to be addressing something culturally and offend them and not listen. You want to get their heart so find things in common with people. Talk to people about things because you genuinely care about them. Ask them how their day is going, what they do, soccer, and then God will give you the door. God will give you the door when it's time, when it's right, to begin to speak truth. Look for it. Pray for it. It's there. And Paul was brought in front. He was able to speak, and he said, I, appear, I see you're very religious. I saw this one thing. It says, to the unknown God. Ding, ding, ding. I know that God you don't know. Do you see how that, that's connecting? And notice how it's different. He's talking to Greeks. What did he do with the Jews? He reasoned them from what? Scripture. What is he reasoning to these Greeks from? We're going to see. It says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you don't worship means you don't know about the very thing you are worship, you're worshiping, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's appealing to them truths from Scripture, 
but he's not going to scripture to do it. He's talking about creation. The natural world, he said, look at it. Paul does this in Romans. He says, look at the normal world. You, you want to see what God is like? Look what he's made. His invisible attributes are clearly seen through creation. It is lunacy when we sit here and go, this chair, this, you know, this chair that I'm sitting on evolved. You guys would go, you guys are silly. It has a design. It clearly has a design. Everything around us clearly has design. Look at creation. These people were not evolutionists or whatever. They were people who believed in God, a creator at one time. How it happened, differing views, but he's appealing to them in this way. He's talking to them. He's finding common ground. He's saying, listen, you guys are very interested in the gods. This is the one who made everything, the one you don't know about. I'm going to talk to you about him. He made the heavens and the earth. He's appealing to creation. So he's finding that fingerprint of God to be able to speak to them the gospel. He's the Lord of heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. All these temples you have built up all around here. He doesn't live in nobody's home. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. This is interesting. He doesn't need to be served. The things that you're touching is not him. He's not from things that you've made. You're actually from him, is what he's saying. You have made your own gods. Don't we love to make our own gods? I want a God who meets what I want to have happen. But that's not who God is. He's revealed himself to us through his word. And that's why I was saying that when we look at who God is, sometimes it's something I don't like. What are we going to do with that? Ignore it or accept it? Learn from it. God made the world and everything, and he's the Lord of heaven. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, he lets, I'm sorry, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries in their land. Why would God do that? Why would give you appointed time in your life? Why would he cause nations to be in appointed lands with boundaries? Do you feel it? Do you feel you folks who are getting older? Do you feel the pull? There's something going on in your hearts? Why, why would he put those limits and those things upon you? Boundaries. God did this, verse 27, so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. God's desiring that mankind would reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from anyone. Notice he's contradicting what they think, that he is far from them. And now he's going to quote their philosophers, and he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's a, uh, uh, Epimenides or something. 
is that philosopher. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. That's where we come from. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That's from Cilician, a Stoic philosopher. So he quotes from one of each of their philosophers. Paul's pretty much quoting rock songs to him. <laughs> you know, their own culture, they knew it. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. If you are in his image, why do you think God would be gold? Weird stuff going on there. But in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands that all people everywhere repent. That means to turn away from that idolatry, to turn away from your own gods, the ones that you've created. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. You know, one thing that drives me crazy about America is justice stinks. We have an awesome, don't believe me, I mean, justice really stinks in Saudi Arabia, but I'm just saying, there's just, it just seems like there's great, a great amount of injustice going on. Great amount of injustice. Jesus will judge justly. When he judges, it will be right. There will be nothing we can say that, that was wrong. It, was, it would be right and pure, and he's going to judge the world. There's an appointed day that he, has done, he will judge the world. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The proof that he is righteous, the proof that he will be judged, is that he has risen from the dead. The rest of us, what happens to us when we die? We stay dead. We're not accepted by God apart from Jesus Christ. But Jesus, he was raised. He was accepted by God. And now he's going to judge all mankind. And then when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear from you again on the subject. If you're going to preach the gospel to seek the approval of men, it's just going to not be very fun for you. When you're sharing the Lord with people, you're going to get people to sneer at you. Oh, you're so archaic. You're so behind the times. You don't know. We're the Greek philosophers. We know the latest and greatest. doesn't make a difference if people are transgendering or not. We all love each other. Lunacy. Sin. I mean, that's destroying your own body. Things that are... You know, we're supposed to have, you know, be the compassionate and all these types of things for just things that are destroying people's lives. Not seeing what God created them to be. Broken by sin. We're going to get people to sneer when we say, when we speak about the God of creation, when we speak about the way things are intended to be. But others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. So there was some interest. And this is something that you need to know, that it's not up to you about the results. And I'm talking to you like you're doing this. Aren't I? When you. Because that is who you are. That is what you've been called to. You are the hope of the world. 
You are the light. You are Jesus, little Christ. You're not going to look like the Apostle Paul or anybody else, but this is what you're to be about. These are the things you're going to run into. This is where you're going to have joy in your life. This is where fruit is going to come. As you shine and love the world around you, give them the truth of Jesus. In the way you act, the way you interact with one another, the way we love one another, and yes, the words that come out of our mouths. And so read these things and, and put them into your heart and go, gosh, you know, look what Paul ran into. He ran into some quiet, some opposition. So will you. They're going to sneer at you. Expect it. They're going to reject it. Expect it. But you love them anyways. You love them. You love them fiercely. You keep telling them the truth. You love them. You tell them, God died for your sins like he died for me. I'm no better than you. Look at all the crud God saved me from. Lastly, they wanted to hear him again. And at that, Paul left the council, and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. Yes, Areopagus. There we go. We got it. Also, a woman named uh, Demarius and a, num- a large number, uh, sorry, a number of others. You know, back in uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty six, he says some people came. Some people came. In other places, it says many people came. It is hard to win the educated to Jesus Christ. And I'm not, this is not an anti-education rant. It's just the more educated we get, the more we can just dismiss the simplicity of the gospel. There's got to be a way where I can engineer my salvation. There's got to be a way where I can manipulate or buy or do whatever, you know, I, I got to earn it. And it's a childlike faith. These Greeks had a hard time grasping onto that, realized that. What does it say? Not many of you were what? Wise when you were called. And I, I, I'm looking out and I see that. Not many of you are wise. <laughs> goofing with you, come on. But not many of us were wise. We're pretty you know, it's like God's grace. He came to us and when we were weak, did he not? And I glory in that. You should glory in that. Don't get discouraged when you're sharing the Lord with people and people don't come. Some came. God has chosen the humble, the things that are not to confound the wise, and I glory in that. You know, so what? I've got, I've got a bachelor's degree. I, call, I count it all dung. Not that God didn't teach me, not that I haven't used it and all those things, but that's, you know, that's secondary. Praise God for you people who are out there in all the various places God has placed you, in all the places in our social status which God doesn't care about, and that we are so concerned with in our culture, middle class, upper class, lower class, and all that stuff God doesn't care. He looks right at the heart. We've got to remember that. And just walk and be yourselves, whoever you run into. No matter where they are, preach the gospel, love them, and let God do what he is going to do through you. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your son. I thank you so much for Jesus who brings freedom. You wandered around the countryside, running into people who were caught up in 
horrible things and their hearts were crying out, I need to be saved and they were a slave to it. Some people had sicknesses. Some people were in adultery, Lord. Some people uh, were, had demons, Lord. Some people had probably marriage problems or were disobedient kids. I mean, it, it just says that you're, all the libraries of the world couldn't fill all the things that you did and said. And yet you spoke and you gave them freedom. And I pray if there's anyone in here today that has never called out to Jesus and said, just forgive me. I trust you died on the cross for my sins. Take my sins. Make me clean. If that's you, call out to him now and let him forgive you. And Lord, we want to praise you for the saints in here who are walking the walk and who are sharing the light. And we pray that they wouldn't not get discouraged this week, but they'd be encouraged. They'd enjoy their time watching the Super Bowl, Lord. You keep our eyes from things we shouldn't be watching and just keep us pure. Let us have a lot of fun and let us be salt and light in all situations. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.